We'll be looking at the first two plagues that uh, fall on the Egyptians by the mighty hand of God tonight, Exodus chapter 7. What you need to know about the Egyptians is the Egyptians were polytheists. They worshipped many gods. They were uh, idolaters. Uh, They believed in many nature deities. Uh, Many ancient peoples, as you do a little research in history, you find that uh, when they had inexplicable uh, things happen in nature, uh, things connected to the sun, moon, and stars, seasonal things, floods, oceans, Um, Anything having to do with that, even the cycle of life and death, they attributed to deities. They would deify uh, many different things and they would draw or create gods connected to these things. And tonight we're going to look at um, a few of those gods. And I would just say to you in doing just some research on Egypt, uh, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of gods. There's some main gods, you can scale them down to some main gods, but There are hundreds and hundreds of gods. And uh, tonight we're going to look at a few of them. And namely, we're going to look at, first of all, the God connected to the Nile River. And uh, this is going to be uh, much of the backdrop of what we look at tonight. But before we do that, as we normally do, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its richness, for the application that we can make to our lives. Lead us by your Holy Spirit tonight. Father, I just fall upon your mercy and grace. I just pray that I'll be your vessel tonight. The things that you've brought to my heart and mind, um, that they'd come forth tonight. Father, anything you would add, anything that you would subtract, I just want to be your vessel. I thank you for the people of God here tonight. I know they want to hear from you. I know that's why they've come. Um, So I just pray that you'll bless them and that they'll hear your voice clearly. And that uh, tonight as we do that, you'll help us to have a heart and a will to obey you to glorify you and to serve you because you are worthy of it, Lord. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 7, we'll begin at verse 14. Remember the backdrop is that there's been a first encounter between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. The encounter uh, had to do with the staff of Moses, the rod of God. And you remember that God took the simple staff of a shepherd and created it into, turned it into something for his miraculous purposes. And the backdrop of this encounter is that uh, Aaron has thrown down his staff, the astrologers or the magicians have thrown down theirs, and uh, you remember that the staff of Aaron swallowed up the staffs of the Egyptians. And I don't know if after that happened, if Moses' staff was a little thicker because it had swallowed a couple of the other ones, but I don't know what was going on there. But anyway, that same staff is going to be prominent in this story. Now the Lord says in Exodus 7:14, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn and he refuses to let the people go. That word for stubborn there is a Hebrew word that means difficult, stupid, hard, slow, sore, thick, heavy, calloused. Pharaoh is a stubborn man. And notice he refuses to let the people go. Sounds like a willful decision to me. Despite all the talk in the passages that talk about God obviously using Pharaoh in his sovereignty, he still had free will and he refused to let the people go. And so God says, go to Pharaoh since he is stubborn in the morning. As he is going out to the water and station yourself to meet him by the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. Now remember that this staff is 
probably something loathsome to Pharaoh because it is the staff of a shepherd. And I mentioned to you in Genesis 46:34 that the Egyptians loathed shepherds. They looked down on shepherds and God's using a man that was a shepherd and the staff of a shepherd now to overpower the Egyptians. And you can kind of see the irony of God as he makes a mockery of the gods, small g, of the Egyptians. And God instructs Moses here. He says, go in the morning, go to Pharaoh, and as he is going out to the water, which seemed to be a kind of a normal thing that he would do, station yourself right there at the bank of the Nile. And you shall take in your hand the staff that was turned into a serpent. So God's given instruction now and it appears that uh, there's kind of a ritual thing that Pharaoh does. He goes to the waters of the Nile and he goes out in the morning and the Egyptians deified not only Pharaoh but they deified the, the Nile River. They believed that Pharaoh had some claim to divinity or deity but they also believed that the river itself was a god. And uh, as you do a little research on this, you find that he's not just going down there for a bath. He's not just going down there even for a ritual bath. He's doing some sort of religious ceremony in the morning with the waters of the Nile. And some would conclude that he actually went down there to be empowered by the Nile god. He felt, apparently in the uh, religion of Egyptians, that as the Pharaoh went down to the waters, the god whose name is either H-A-P-I, Hopi, or H-O-P-I. I've seen it spelled both words. The god of the Nile, the god connected to the underworld, would empower him as either he immersed himself in the water or blessed the waters. So somehow this is connected to his thought of his own deity and his thought of empowerment. He's going to the Nile for some source of strength for some source of empowerment. The Egyptians believed that the Nile was a god because of its blessing to them, its being a, of course, uh, a main water source for them, a source of life. They were dependent on it. As a matter of fact, when you do a little research, you find that the Egyptians sang songs of praise to the Nile River. They would literally go out to the Nile and like we sing celebration hymns and songs to our God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Egyptians would go out and sing songs to Hopi, the Nile God. And literally, some of the words um, are come and prosper, come and prosper, O Nile, come and prosper, O you who make men to live through his flocks and his flocks through his orchards, come and prosper, come, O Nile. They would say things like that. They would sing it to the Nile River. Apparently, congregating there in some sort of religious ceremony. So they, they looked at this river as a god and were told that this Hopi that was supposed to be the god of the Nile had connections to the underworld and he would allow the Nile River to run through the underworld, through the land of the dead and then come up through some caverns and mountains into the land of Egypt. And so the people uh, elevated the god Hopi to the uh, height of Ra, the sun god, but not only to his height, some said that he was even higher than Ra, the sun god. And as a matter of fact, if you think about what he represented, uh, in the Egyptians' minds, apparently he was the supreme god and the giver of life. And so you understand now the great significance of the Nile and the Nile god. He is the main deity. He's the one that the Egyptians look to for life and apparently hope.
And you will say to him, to Pharaoh, verse 16, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, this is still in the instruction phase for Moses, sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened until now. Thus says the Lord, verse 17, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it shall be turned to blood. Now the Hebrew word for blood is spelled in English D-A-M. In, uh, if you transliterate the word, it's D-A-W-M. Dom is the idea. And the literal Hebrew word means blood. Now there's been a lot of naturalistic explanations to the 10 plagues in Egypt. Some believe that maybe there was a certain uh, sand or red tide that came down and stuff like that. You know what, I'm gonna submit to you that as much as we try for naturalistic explanations and I'm surprised at the amount of commentaries that go in this direction, I believe that the Lord turned the river to blood because I believe that's the, the plain reading of the text. Now some say, well, but Joel mentions that the, the moon will be turned to blood in the great and terrible day of the Lord and say, well, that just really depicts the color of the moon. Maybe so, and you can chew on this a little bit to see what your uh, conclusion is, but it does say, plainly reading it, that it became blood. And the fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile would, will become foul, and the Egyptians will find difficulty in drinking water from the Nile. Now remember, God is attacking the small g gods of Egypt. And since Hopi is the, one of their main deities, and he is the provider, he is the, literally the inundator, he inundates the land with flood, with fish, and even with frogs. And the people of Egypt believe that even the frogs are a blessing because they're a sign of something uh, in terms of their own fertility in their land. And so they believe that this hoppy God and, and the fish and the frogs are all gifts from him. And God says, when I strike the Nile, when I turn it to blood, the fish are gonna die. Forget about your fertility. Forget about your fishing business. This Nile River will be foul. It will be toxic. It will be undrinkable to the Egyptians. And of course, we know in the book of Revelation, God's going to do something very similar to this as he causes natural calamities to happen over nature. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 19, say to Aaron, remember Aaron is kind of the spokesman of Moses, take your staff and stretch it out. Stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt over the rivers, over the streams, and over their pools, and over all their reservoirs of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Apparently, according to this language, everything that held water turned to blood. Now, if you think back to the movie The Ten Commandments when Yul Brenner's out there and he's out there to bless the waters, Cecil B. DeMille's interpretation of this was he was out to bless the waters as he began to pour the sacred waters, you remember, out of the pitcher it turned red blood. Well, that's probably pretty accurate because the implication of the language is that even if you had a pitcher of water in your house, it became blood. Everything became tainted. That seems to be the clear indication of the language so that there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Now one cannot help but think back to 
80 years before this when there was an edict from the Pharaoh that all the male Hebrew children should be thrown into the Nile River. He wanted to bloody the land with the Hebrew children and now God says, oh yeah, well, I'm going to cause some blood to be shed as well. I don't know if we can go back and go that far, but I certainly can't help but think of it. And so here it is. This blood shall be all over the land of Egypt. The Nile will become bloody. Everything, even the wooden things and the stone things, the pitcher. And of course, wood and stone represent many of the idols of Egypt. And so God may be saying, hey, your idols are dead. But I think the bigger picture here is that guess what? Old Hoppy or Happy or whatever you're going to call him, your God is dead. He's bleeding. And I think as the Nile begins to produce blood, God is saying, your God's dead. I killed him. Now who are you going to look to? And here's the image. And there's Pharaoh out there by the water. And here's all of these vessels being turned to blood. And so Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. I wonder what the reaction was when they saw this happen. I wonder what they thought. I wonder how people began to scurry and, and feel the pressure. And the fish that were in the Nile died. You can see fish began to flop to the top of the surface. And the Nile became foul so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians, verse 22, of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, I don't know what the Egyptian astrologers and magicians did, but we're going to find out a little later that when the people see that the Niles become bloody, they begin to dig around the river to try to find um, some untainted water. And maybe they filled up a pitcher of that water and claimed that they turned it to blood, or maybe they could actually do this. I don't know. But what's interesting is that all they can do is try to copycat the miracle. They couldn't make it better. If they were really so powerful, they should have cleared up the waters. But all they could do is try to uh, duplicate the miracle. And of course, they probably only made it worse. And so you see that the magicians can do this with their secret arts, but as a result, Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. And the Pharaoh turned and he went into his house with no concern even for this. I think Pharaoh said, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. And so he did. And what's interesting is it says that Pharaoh had no concern. Apparently his pride, his foolishness, he just couldn't see it. He couldn't see the impact on his own nation. He didn't probably think maybe it was that big of a deal. Maybe he thought it would clear up right away. But whatever the deal was, he turned into his palace or his house and he went home. And so all the Egyptians dug around the, the Nile, verse 24, for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Now, isn't it ironic, just a, a while back in history, it was the pharaohs of Egypt doubling up the work of the Hebrews. Uh, we're not going to give them straw to make brick. We're going to make them labor. Now it's the Egyptians who are laboring. They're around the Nile digging, trying to find a water source. And there's a lot of irony here. And seven days passed, or seven days were fulfilled, after the Lord had struck the Nile. Now this seems to indicate that this particular uh, judgment lasted for seven days. And I don't know what those seven days were like in Egypt, but I can only guess that there was a lot of panic. 
there was probably some rioting and there was a lot of thirst going on. And I'm sure that the advisors of Pharaoh and the people closest to him were saying, man, this, this God of Israel, this God of the Hebrews, he's, he's someone to be reckoned with because we can't undo what he's done. We can't deal with us. He's killed our God. There's blood everywhere. What are we going to do? Now you would think that maybe that would soften Pharaoh's heart, but the backdrop of this is interesting. Alan and I talked about this a little bit. Keith and I talked about this a little bit. It seems like this is happening. seems like Moses is softening and Pharaoh is hardening. And the cool thing is that we see Moses, he's very human, huh? He's a lot like us. He's got some fear, some apprehension, but he seems to be softening. He's seeing the hand of God work. He's seeing God's faithfulness. Pharaoh, on the other hand, is hardening. His pride is causing him to harden. Now chapter 8 verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. Now frogs were big in Egypt. As a matter of fact, they say that women would walk around with amulets uh, shaped like frogs. They love their frogs. And frogs were supposed to be a gift from a gift from old Happy or Hoppy or whatever you call his name. And the frog, interestingly enough, when it appeared along the Nile at certain times of the year, its appearance came to symbolize fruitfulness and coming life. So the Egyptians saw the frog as a sign of fertility and blessing. So when the frog came up and they saw the frog hey man, this meant that old Hoppy, he was blessing us. And so people wore frog amulets. And as a matter of fact, this god was named Heket, the frog goddess. She was supposed to be the one who helped women in childbirth, but more than that, she came to be known as the one who helped with birth, uh, and she was the one who would breathe life. In the Egyptian um, idolatry and and all of their mysticism they said that there was a god who created men on a potter's wheel and he would create the man and then heket the frog goddess would breathe air into them and give them life of course the bible says that god breathes the breath of life into man but in egyptian uh idolatry and all these goddesses and gods well it was heket who did this And so this is the goddess that we're dealing with, the frog goddess, the one who gives them an idea of blessing. And he says, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. The frog or toad was deified, as I mentioned, in Egypt. The Egyptians favored frogs. They wore these amulets. And it was even, uh, there was a prohibition in Egypt against intentionally killing frogs who were considered sacred animals. So apparently, in Egypt, there were frog rights activists. Um, And they walked around and they said, this is sacred ground, man. You can't go here. You can't build anything here because, you know, rivet, the frogs are here. And, you know, they're sacred to us. So they're frog rights activists, you know. I don't know what they were. Anyway, they had their guys back there too. And so here's what's going on. And here's the idea in the land of Egypt. When you hear the frogs croaking by the riverbank, the blessings are coming. But here's the deal. Old Hoppy, who's supposed to be the giver of fertility and blessings, guess what? Old Hoppy has croaked. 
because the river's been filled with blood. And now, all of a sudden, the frog population is going to be out of control. And thinking, well, maybe we've had blessings. Well, now it's going to be more like a curse. And the Nile will swarm, verse 3, with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and on, literally on your people and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. Frogs, frogs, everywhere, frogs! Rivet, Kermit has arrived, but he's with an entourage. You see, you can't just now put these frogs off to the side. You've got to deal with them. They're going to be in your bed with you. Oh, little Kermit, you've become my friend. You're going to have to live with the frogs. How do you like it now? Old Hoppy has croaked. Oh, you've got to love how this all works out, don't you? And so the frogs, verse 4, will come upon you, Pharaoh, and your people, and your servants. Wherever you go, you're going to see these green, slimy creatures. You thought they represented blessing to you? You thought old Hoppy was doing great for you? Well, guess what? He's no longer in control. It says in Psalm 105, verse 29 and 30, verses 29 and 30, God turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their lands swarm with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. You see, Pharaoh couldn't keep them out either. Could you imagine? You know, you, we have a fly in the house sometimes and, and it's all, I, I learned this from my mother, but she gets the fly swatter and she's on duty and that one fly's got to die. You know, it's just irritating, that one little, you know, and then sometimes you're sleeping at night and you know you haven't killed that fly and he lands right, and you just know you got to get him, right? Sometimes you guys have been crashing things in your house to kill that one fly. I'm gonna get him! Could you imagine all these frogs in your bed where you cook in your oven? You can't get rid of them. There's too many of them. There's no pesticide. You can't do anything. You can't go anywhere without them. What a scary time this would be. What a brutal time for the Egyptians. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand, verse 5, chapter 8, your staff over the rivers, over the streams, over the pools, and make frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. By the way, this implies, come, come on the land of Egypt, that the Hebrew people were spared from this. And so Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up, and they covered the land of Egypt. Now notice this. And the magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Isn't it a crack up? If these guys have demonic power, all they did was make more frogs! Hey, uh, Pharaoh, go tell Moses, nah, 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 we can make the frogs too. Oh, gee, you really helped the situation, didn't you? You just multiplied more of them! If you really had power, you'd get rid of the frogs. All they could do is copycat. Isn't that the way Satan is? He tries, he's a, he tries to copy God, but he can't do it. His power is, is certainly limited. Now notice, when it comes down to crunch time, when Pharaoh, remember a little while ago, he walked into his house without a care. Now he's got frogs, frogs everywhere. What does he do in the next verse? Does he call for his magicians? Hey boys, let's see if we can get rid of the frogs. Who's he call for in the next verse? 
Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat or intercede to the Lord that he may remove the frogs from me and from my people. I don't know if he said this with a few frogs, you know, hanging from his kingly garments. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Do whatever you have to do. Pray to this God of the Hebrews. Ribbit, ribbit. They're drooling on me. Now it's personal. How many people have said that when they're under pressure in a crisis situation? Hey, talk to the big guy upstairs for me, would you? Because this is going on and I know you got that connection, man. You know, you, you got that in with the, the man upstairs, right? Could you call out to him for me? Tell him to get the frogs out of here, would you? And what does Moses say? Moses said to Pharaoh, Okay, Pharaoh, the honor is yours to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses that they may be left only in the Nile? By the way, this indicates that the Nile had been cleared up at this point. We don't know how long afterwards this plague is happening, but we know that the frogs can apparently live there now. NIV says, Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs. When do you want the frogs to go, Pharaoh? At your word, whenever you say, the frogs will go. When do you want them to go? Now you would have, think that, you would have thought that Pharaoh would have said, No! I've gotten enough hate mail. You see them hanging. <laughs> Get them out of here. But Pharaoh said something so shocking that it just makes the mind boggle. He said, verse 10, tomorrow, just one more night with the frogs. Wow. Wow. How weird. Maybe he got used to the rivet. Maybe it gave him comfort. Tomorrow. And you can't help but think, you know, as you make some application for us in our lives of the frogs of sin. You know, at first, sin's uncomfortable. It's kind of slimy. The noise is annoying. Kind of bugs you. But after a while, you get a little bit more comfortable with sin. And when you know it needs to go, and maybe you've been confronted with the reality of sin in your life, someone says to you, hey, you know, you can decide, when do you want the frogs to go? How many of us have said, tomorrow, just one more night with the frogs? Oh, I'll start that diet tomorrow. I'll start reading my Bible tomorrow. I'll get rid of that thing out of my life, that frog. It'll go tomorrow. I'll start doing that thing that I'm supposed to do tomorrow. But at your word, it can go. You can just make a decision, you know, and the frogs will go. At your, I'll give you the honor, Moses says. And Pharaoh says, just one more night. Now, of course, the backdrop of this is Moses says to him, 
I'll, I'll let you set the time that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. You see, Moses is going to let him set the time so he knows when, when the frogs go, when he checks his watch or whatever you had back there, he's going to know. They didn't go by accident. They didn't go by the power of the magicians. They're going to go exactly when you and I agreed so you will know that the Lord is God. In Isaiah 46, 9, the Bible says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. In Isaiah 40, 25, it says, To whom then will you liken me that I should be as equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Let me ask you a question. You got some frogs in your life? Some things that need to go? You keep saying, tomorrow, tomorrow, right? And the frogs will depart, verse 11, from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. And then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, verse 13. And the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. And so they piled them up in heaps, and the land became foul. You know, it just reminds me that sometimes we get something out of our life Maybe finally it goes away, but then it gets piled up and the stench still remains. And there's a lot of people who have opened the door to the frogs of sin and maybe they're gone now, but there's still a stink. You see, sometimes even when it's gone, its effects linger. And that's why we should never open the door to begin with to sin, huh? Sin, in Genesis it says, is always crouching at the door. It wants to leap up and master us but we must master it and it's best not to open the door at all but I'm sure that these piles all over Egypt of dead frogs was a constant reminder of compromise it was a constant reminder of Pharaoh's pride I'm sure every time he walked through town and saw a dead pile of frogs he thought that's my fault that pile is mine that pile's mine now, I'm not sure he was willing to admit it because, of course, sometimes we don't want to own the piles of frogs that we've made, huh? But it stank. It stank to high heaven. The land had become foul and, Sarah, and, and Pharaoh's sin um, certainly was not in a vacuum. Everybody was be, being impacted by his decisions. And it reminds me again that, you know, sometimes we think that we make decisions in a vacuum, but we don't. It does impact others. Now, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, literally the language here means literally as soon as he got some air, as soon as he could breathe, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. You know, in the moment of crisis, Pharaoh was like a lot of people. He made all kinds of promises. Whatever you say, Moses, I'm sure he asked the magicians to get the frogs out of there. They couldn't do it. So he called for Moses and Aaron. He says, entreat the Lord. Pray to him. Whatever you need, 50%. You know, how sometimes we've made deals with God. What was the movie with Burt Reynolds when 
he's out in the ocean ready to drown and he's making a deal with God. I can't remember. And, you know, he starts out, he's out in the ocean and he thinks he's going to die, so he starts offering high percentages. You know, 60%, God, just get me to the shore. And then as he gets closer to the shore, 40%, 20%, I'll give you 10 Never mind. So many people are like that. In the crisis situation, get it out of here and treat the Lord. Yeah, I'll let the people go worship. Yeah. Promises, promises. Then when he got a little air to breathe, and of course that still stank, he said, ah, never mind. Forget about those promises I made. Now the frogs are dead. Yeah, it still stinks, but, you know. And his heart became hard. So many people are willing to promise it seems everything then they get a little air to breathe and it goes away it's kind of like the nation following the twin towers right everybody goes back to church disaster crisis god help us help us get rid of the frogs oh two three weeks later polls tell us that there's been no substantial impact whatsoever from what happened in the crisis of 9-11 in church attendance in america Nothing. Oh, it happened for a little bit. Oh, we need God. We need God. Oh, I guess it's okay now. Never mind. It's kind of how we are, huh? I wonder what God must think of that as he looks at a nation who only cries out to him when they need something to be removed or something dealt with. I know that that's not our hearts tonight, though. Because I know as we look at our king, we say, hey, he's worthy of our service. No matter what's going on. Whether we hear the rivets or not. Right? He's worthy. Would you turn to Isaiah 19 as we close tonight? Isaiah chapter 19. Now the good news is that even with all the Egyptian uh, rebellion and Pharaoh representing being a type of Satan who of course seems to bring sin and wreak havoc on the world. He doesn't seem to, he does. In Isaiah 19, there's going to be a turn and the people of Egypt are going to believe. Look at 1916. In that day, the Egyptians will become like women and they will tremble and be in dread because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts which he is going to wave over them. And the land of Judah will become a terror to Egypt. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will be in dread of it because of the purpose of the Lord of hosts which he is purposing against them. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will be speaking the language of Canaan and swearing allegiance to the Lord of hosts. One will be called the city of destruction. In that day, verse 19, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. And it will become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors. And he will send them a savior and a champion. And he will deliver them. Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They will even worship with sacrifice and offering. And will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt striking but healing so they will return to the Lord and he will respond to them and will heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria 
and the Assyrians will come into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third party with, Egypt, with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. What a forgiving God we have. Even though we look at Egypt and we say, man, God would just do away with them, right? You know, I bet there was probably some people who looked at our lives and said, you know, they'll never come to the Lord. Frogs are going to be there forever, croaking. That guy's just going to croak without God. He'll, He'll never make it. She'll never make it. Egypt, too connected to it. And I said, no, one day I'm going to strike that life with healing. I'm going to call that person to myself and it's going to surprise a bunch of people. See, the person we thought couldn't be saved, God will bring them. And they will worship right alongside us. And one day, there's going to be a day in heaven and we're going to say, hey, how long were the frogs at your house? Oh, let me tell you. But we serve a God of mercy, a God of grace. And one day, we're going to be with every people of tribe, tongue, nation, every nation. And we're all going to be calling out to the same Savior who's our champion because he's merciful. Because he's merciful to the people that we don't expect him to show mercy to. That's our God. He's done it for us and he's going to do it for many people in the world. And so to us tonight, we are to rejoice that he grabbed us when he did (laughs) and pulled us out of the miry muck of our sin and brought us a champion, a Savior, who's Christ the Lord. Amen? Well, Father, thank you so much for your rule over the, ma- the uh, issues and matters and ways of man. How we look at Egypt and we see false gods, but we know that for all of us, we could say there was a time in our lives where we were worshiping things that could not hear and could not speak and could not deliver. We were trapped we were lost. We had the frogs of sin in our lives. We had seen the foul and the stench of sin. It's not pretty. But Lord, you came in with the cleansing waters. You came in with the blood of Jesus Christ. And you pulled us out of Egypt. And you set our feet upon solid ground. And even though we could say we were there once, Lord, we were the Egyptians. We were the people in the world under the rule of Satan, the God of this age. And we were dancing to his drum. And yet you had mercy on us, Lord. And you called us out by your mighty hand. You delivered us through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again from the dead for our salvation. And you have made us a people of your own possession, a chosen people, a people that has been called the saints and sons and daughters of God. What can we say to these things, Lord? We know we don't deserve it. We know we were right there in Egypt with so many people dying, looking to the wrong things for deliverance and hope, looking in all the wrong places for all the wrong answers. And you broke into the darkness of our sin, Lord. And you removed not only the frogs of sin from our life, but even the stench. 
and you've given us beauty and praise instead of ashes and, and things that um, connect to the sin in our lives, Father. Beauty for ashes. The garland of praise instead of a heaviness. We can look to the Lord no matter what we're going through, Lord. We can know that you're a merciful God and that you love us. So I pray you'll just reach your hand out tonight to every precious saint here tonight. Reach out your hand and assure them that you'll deal with their issues and problems. Reach out your hand and touch them and remind them of who they are in Jesus Christ, that they're more than conquerors through you. Reach out your hand, Father, and heal the inward wounds that we carry. Even the stench that sometimes remains over poor decisions that we've made. We just pray that you'll bring a beauty, a sweet savor, an aroma that uh, replaces those things. And Father, that we'll, in gratitude for all you've done for us, walk closely with you. That we'll draw close to you tonight. That we'll give you all the glory, honor, and praise that you deserve. And that we'll have our eyes on you until one day we're with every tribe, tongue, and nation, praising you and seeing you face to face. We love you and we worship you and we pray these things in Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen.